Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the best college football pick and pod in the land. We are here for a week seven ATS pick and pod. We're coming to you from bellyupsports.com. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black. Alan, welcome back in. We are nearing as we head into week seven, the midway point of the college football season. So how are you feeling as you look at what is an ATS pick'em? Of course, we've got another side over on the confidence, but what are your thoughts as we head into the middle of the college football season? Yeah, well, boy, looking ahead this week is daunting. (laughs) It's absolutely daunting, but it's going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking back. I finally hit on some picks, and when that happens, it's a good week. And this is kind of the first time in a, in a few weeks that that's happened, and because of that, I moved back up the board a little bit. No doubt about it. A solid week for you after I had a solid week the week before. And some mm-hmm. of these weeks where there are a lot of people who take L's, and we'll get to more of that in just a minute because I didn't fare so well as you, but in these weeks where there are a lot of L's, if you can end up in a kind of good spot in the pick and board if you're picking six or seven games right and you don't just bomb out on your top picks what could be like kind of a mediocre week during the normal part of the season when it's an easier week can really be a phenomenal week so when you end up in that territory where it's like ah, eh, there were still a lot of issues with my board or a lot of picks I didn't see coming and I took some big hits if you just manage those things and have them throughout at the right spots, you can really end up in a good side of the pick them, especially, you know, if there's a lot of people taking L's on the ATS side, you can really gain ground quickly, even in a game format where each pick is the same value at just one apiece. 100%. It makes a huge difference. You know, again, close games, if a couple fall the right way for you in a given week, it makes all the difference in the world. It can make a huge, huge difference. So let's look at the leaderboard where the difference is being felt up at the top. Our leader is Trevor. He has won 36 games this season. He's hitting at 60% still. Now, a week ago, if I remember correct, I think we had six people hitting at 60% or higher. We're down to one. That's how dramatic the week was. That's how many L's people took. So Trevor's sitting up there with 36 wins. He's leading the way for $175. And because he's hitting at 60% right now, he has a two-game lead on the rest of the pack at the very least. So in a tie for second place, something new that we see this week, we have Kevin and William in a dead heat. 
for the $75 prize for second place. They both have 34 wins. They both had the same tiebreaker score differential as we went and looked at the scores for the Texas-Oklahoma game. So really, those are our top three spots right now. A first-place finisher as of right now by himself, Trevor, and then the two all tied for second place. It's why those tiebreaker scores are vital to put in every single week so you understand where you're at. You get a little practice with it. Of course, the ones right now don't totally matter, and the ones as we get down deep into the season absolutely do. But, Alan, it's another example of why to pay attention to every single aspect of the pick and board. 100%. Hey, and I nailed it. I had 64 points, and they scored 64 points. I don't know that I've ever done that before in all my years picking, so that felt nice. <laughs> very, very nice. And you ended up not only hitting on the tiebreaker, but you ended up going 6-4 and four against the spread. That was a really solid week for how many L's we saw. So anything above 500, I always say, is always good. But there have yep. been some weeks early in the season where we've seen a lot of 6-4s and fours and a lot of 7-3s, and threes, sometimes even a handful of 8-win weeks. But this week was much more subdued, so 6-4 and four was really, really solid. Alan, you're up to 17th in the standings from 23rd a week ago. You were 29-30 and 30 on your ATS picks all season, so I know you're feeling pretty good after this past week. Yeah, much, much better. The Iowa pick that I gave last week absolutely landed. And then the Notre Dame pick, when we had our lock party, 100% did not land. That was maybe the most surprising result of all last week, in my opinion. I know you were very bullish on Texas. I was not as much. On the confidence side, I only had them at a four. I picked Texas to cover because I thought they would win by seven. But I thought Oklahoma was a legit team. All the metrics said that they were defensively efficient and offensively efficient. What I did not expect is Louisville to absolutely bully, bully Notre Dame and thus make a fool of us. No doubt that they make a fool of us. I was on the same side taking a loss. That was a lock party loss with Notre Dame minus the six and a half points. I ended up going to get this one and nine against the spread in week six. I've never done that bad before. Now, we've only been doing this for about a season and a half, but last year I'm pretty sure my bottom number on a given week was three and seven, and I managed to go through the three and sevens I felt really bad about, but this was a whole nother level going one and nine, but again, a lot of people took L's. So in a normal week, if you go one and nine, man, I'd be losing six, seven games to a whole bunch of people. But really, I was losing three and four to a bunch of people this week. So even though it was a terrible, terrible week and it really impacts my overall record and overall standing, I really kind of just survived because I'd already built a cushion for myself up in the top 10. I had a comfortable spot. So going one and nine, I fell to 10th place with tiebreakers out of sixth place. I'm 31 and 29 against the spread. So the fact that I had a one and nine week and I'm still over 500 on my ATS picks on the season is a little bit of a testament of how good I was in the first five weeks. But now that cushion is completely gone and I have to really return to the path I was on earlier this season. Alan, you alluded to it. My other ATS lock was Texas minus six and a half points. And I agree with you. Oklahoma proved themselves much more than I thought they would. It's not like I thought Texas was going to blow them out or anything, but I thought they could control the game. And it very clearly was not a game that was in control. And yet, 
at the end, I still had the opportunity to get this thing right. When Texas has the ball late, they're driving the field in a tied game. I thought, man, this is setting up perfectly for a late score, even though this game hasn't gone exactly how I thought it would, and Texas could still cover. They ended up kicking the field goal. They ended up losing the game outright with a tremendous drive from Dylan Gabriel and company. But ultimately, even though I lost the pick, I don't feel like I was horribly off on this one. I think I still had my opportunities. It was a crazy game. Crazy things went down. And I think it could have gone either way. But I think a part of that is we played this out a bunch more times. Oklahoma is probably the right side to be on. But I wouldn't be mad at anybody for picking Texas minus six and a half points again. Because I think that's totally an outcome we could see, though not as often as I imagined we would. Right. Absolutely. I mean, Dylan Gravier was amazing. And that 12 p.m. slot gave us some of the best action of the day between that and the Missouri LSU game. Those games were absolutely phenomenal. And just, you know, you had to be glued in on those. I never imagined I could say this, Alan. I mentioned to you this before we started recording, but when I go one and nine against the spread, I look back on my slate and honestly, I feel pretty good about where I was on a lot of these picks. When you look at Missouri plus six and a half points. All right. Scoreboard watchers, if you're just looking at what's going on with final scores, you're not going to understand this. But Missouri plus six and a half points was absolutely the right side for 59 minutes and 15 seconds until LSU scored a (laughs) touchdown late to take a slim lead. And then Missouri got pinned back deep when they're trying to drive to put together one more score to win the game and a pick six is thrown. Now, I've been on the opposite side of that earlier this year when I got a win with Oregon with a pick six against Texas Tech late. So I've benefited just as I got hurt this past week, but literally 59 minutes and 15 seconds, I was on the right side of this one, Alan. Yep, very much so. I ended up going with LSU on this side, even though on the confidence end, I told them to move them down to kind of where they were, which was way up, like eight, nine type of deal. And I was like, this is going to be a really tight back and forth game. And it exactly was. I felt like that one landed. But I still picked LSU because I thought they would win by seven. And again, if it wasn't for the pick six, which was just Brady Cook's trying to make a play, he has to make a play. And that's where you get some of these you can't even call them backdoor covers, but I mean, I guess it technically was, but they still won. So maybe it's a front door cover. I don't know. (laughs) I also felt really good about Texas state plus half a point. They outgained Louisiana by a hundred yards in this game. They led 20 to seven. They led 30 to 21 in the fourth quarter and then lost. I think if that game plays out with similar characteristics 10 times or 100 times, I think I'm winning close to 90% of them. So I think I got the 10% result there with Louisiana coming back and getting the win. I felt pretty good about my Texas A&M pick, plus two and a half points. They led 17 to 10 at halftime on their home field against Alabama. I was set up for success there. It ended up not happening. I even feel pretty good about my pick over Purdue, even though you said you hammered it. Purdue outgained Iowa as I thought they would, only by about 50 yards. But Caleb Johnson got loose for Iowa early in that game for a long touchdown run, one explosive play pretty much the entire game. And otherwise, Purdue kind of performed how I thought they would, and it was turnovers that got them. But otherwise, I thought they played well enough outside of a couple of plays 
to win this game, and it didn't come out in my favor. But I look at my board going, man, if this played out a bunch more times and I gave the same picks, I think more often I end up at like a four and six or five and five. So I really didn't feel all that bad about my picks. It's just every single one that was close to a toss-up went exactly the opposite way, or the ones that I was in control of for a long time ended up going the opposite way. And that's not traditionally how the game of football works. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we have to look at it from a pragmatic point of view, from from a statistical perspective and those types of things. Again, Texas State, I was there with you. But I said the reason I was on Iowa and was punching that one through was because I thought that it was going to play out exactly how it did. That's just what Iowa does. And at some point, you just got to tip your cap and say, this is what they are. And they're the best in college football at it. And they'll find a way to be eight and four, nine and three because of it, even though their team overall offensively is one of the worst in all the land. Very much. It is a thing that happens regularly and credit to you as you gave the pick out for Iowa minus the two and a half. Now, Alan, if you're ready for it, let's go ahead and get into some week seven locks. Let's try and have you continue your magic from a week ago. And I'm going to try and completely reset things and get back to what I did in the first five weeks of the season where I was absolutely in contention up at the top of the leaderboard. But Alan, because you had a dramatically better week than I did, you're going to start us off this week with your ATS locks. All right, man. This is a week unlike any other that I ever remember. And as we sit here on Tuesday night, the biggest spread on the board is four and a half points. And that to me is the most remarkable thing that I've ever seen. (laughs) So finding value is not the easiest thing. And quite frankly, there's a reason all of these games are really tight because these teams are many, many ways, mirrors of each other. But in those types of moments, I look for trends on how teams play in certain locations. And because of that, a trend that I've noticed early this year is that Oregon State plays really well at home and UCLA did not play well against a good Utah defense on the road, even though they're coming off a great win against Washington State at home, which is the reason I picked UCLA. It's because of really good defense, a decent enough offense, and they're at home. And the reason I'm going with Oregon State and locking up the Beavers at minus four and a half is for the same reasons. DJ Uyangalale is proven to be a really good quarterback. They beat a Cal team that's pretty decent. Um, this past weekend on the road, and I think he had something like four or five touchdowns. They've beaten this Utah team on a Friday night a couple of weeks ago, and the only team that they have lost to is when they went on the road to a really pretty decent Washington State team, sneaky good Washington State team. Statistically speaking, these teams are very similar offensively. Defensively, UCLA as at least a decently much better defense averaging about 70 yards less per game allowed. But I don't think it's going to matter because going to Corvallis is not easy. It's going to be a late evening game at 5 PM for them. And I'm locking up DJU and Oregon state at minus four and a half. I like your confidence. I like the things you're saying. And 
I cannot tell you that I fall on the same side or against in terms of making this a lock this week because simply I've had a hard time establishing exactly what I feel about this game. At this very moment, I have UCLA selected plus four and a half points on my board, but I am not going to argue really excessively hard for that at this point in time. That's simply thinking that this could be a close, low-scoring defensive battle in this game because... When you get four and a half points, you get the opportunity that you could have, like, say, an Oregon State win, like 21-17, with UCLA picking up the win against the spread. You could have a 24-21, you know, three, four points were normal margins in football games. I think you could see that. The things that I'll point out, though, the reasons I kind of lean one way or the other and why I've had a hard time picking this game is because on the one end with UCLA – They have had a phenomenal front seven, especially their defensive line, and they have shut down the run. Now, they haven't necessarily played a lot of great rushing attacks to this point, and I think Oregon State probably has the best one that they'll have faced to this point. I've talked a lot about Damian Martinez, the true sophomore running back from Oregon State. I think he's awesome. But I think UCLA potentially has a strength of its defensive unit going up against that run game. We've seen some question marks about DJU and his passing ability, especially if I think that running game is not going to support him all that well. But then on the opposite side, when you look at this UCLA team that earlier this year, I talked about how explosive they've been. Then we saw them go on the road and lose against Utah, and Dante Moore looked as lost as I could have ever imagined he would. And the whole reason I have a hard time really feeling great about picking UCLA is because Dante Moore is going to be in a similar position this week against a traditionally good defensive unit on the road in a tough place to play in Oregon State where it's going to be a tough atmosphere in a late-night situation. I think those things kind of point to what you're doing with Oregon State. But then at the same time, we saw Oregon State in their game against Washington State give up a ton of explosive plays in the passing game. And UCLA is explosive. So if Dante Moore goes out and has a good game, man, it could open the door for UCLA to take advantage of some of the same things that Washington State did. It's just I don't have a ton of confidence that he's going to do that with the last few weeks that I've seen of Dante Moore. So I am very mixed about how I feel for this game. I will absolutely support you in going with Oregon State minus four and a half, and I will not at all guarantee that I'm going to be on UCLA plus four and a half at the end of this week because I'm going to think about this matchup more and more as the week goes on. So I'll support you, and I will tell the people out there that I'm on the opposite side right now, but I cannot guarantee that's where I'm going to be come the end of this week because I can look at this matchup and feel like it can go either way every single time I look at it. And it's just going to be a matter of when I get the opportunity to look at it another two or three times, I'll make my final decision on which way I'm going to fall. Mm-hmm. Listen, man, I get it. I feel if you look at all these matchups, for the most part, you can make an argument either way, which is just pretty remarkable. I love this kind of challenge. It is certainly a challenge and one that I feel like we did not get presented with an awful lot in the first handful of weeks of the season. I kept on saying week after week, I think you agreed with me that there were a lot of lines that I liked pretty solidly on one side. Even if I didn't feel like it was an absolute guarantee, I thought more often than not, I see this one going this way. 
even if I think it's kind of toss-up-y, I think this team's better in these areas and it's going to give them the opportunity to cover this spread in this way. And this time, again, just like this one that I said, I think I can see this game going either way for a bunch of different reasons. And I think when you have all these possible outcomes that float around in my head when I think about these things, it makes it really confusing for how to land on one side or the other real specifically. But if it's a low-scoring game, I kind of like UCLA plus the points. If it's a higher-scoring game, which I'm not closed off to, I think Oregon State could be the side to play. So, man, I feel mixed up about it, but I'll be working hard to figure it out, and I will absolutely support you with the Beavers. It's just I don't know if I'll be on the same side or not. Oh, I totally get it. It's a great, great week to give this a try. All right. Well, I am going to go to my absolute favorite play on the ATS Pick'em Board this week, and honestly, it's the one play that I like a lot. When I look at this board that, again, I think there's a lot of different options on all these games, there weren't a lot that stood out to me. But I'm going to go to the Big 12, where we have the Kansas Jayhawks as a small road favorite at the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, we've talked about a couple of times the Cowboys have been kind of an up-and-down team, and they lost to South Alabama earlier this season. They lost at Iowa State, but man, they got things right this past week on Friday night with a win on their home field versus Kansas State, one of the teams that we've talked about in the Big 12 being one of the better programs out there. They won 29-21. They have gotten their running back, who we talked about in the preseason, Ollie Gordon, going recently. He's had back-to-back 100-yard rushing games. They've settled on Alan Bowman as the starting quarterback, and I think that's a good thing for them after they had a three-man race going there. But then you look over at the other side, and we have some question marks about Kansas. Jalen Daniels, I think, is probably pretty unlikely to play at quarterback. He's been dealing with back issues, and he has not practiced, as we record on Tuesday night, either Monday or Tuesday this week. And he's been out a good bit this season. So I think there's probably a pretty good likelihood that Jason Bean, his backup, is going to start. Now, Jason Bean is not the athlete that Jalen Daniels is, but we have seen him consistently step in in injury situations for Jalen Daniels, and he's been pretty good. He's completing 64% of his passes for a little over 500 yards this year, four touchdowns and zero interceptions. But really the highlight of this Kansas team is the backfield. Devin Neal, Daniel Hyshaw, even their backup, Dylan McDuffie, they're all averaging well over five yards per carry, especially in the sense of Hyshaw. He's averaging 6.9 a carry, Devin Neal 7.7. And though Oklahoma State looked good against Kansas State and got the win on their home field and is maybe figuring some things out, Alan, I like the Kansas Jayhawks to go on the road with a balanced group of receivers, including some tight ends and running backs who get involved in the passing game. I like this offense a lot versus an Oklahoma State defense that has given up rushing yards in a couple of the games I talked about. One being against South Alabama, they gave up over 240 rushing yards. Against Kansas State, they gave up 220. I think the same thing can happen with Kansas, even if Daniels is out. I like Jason Bean and the way that he protects the football. I think he's pretty solid. I think this running attack can really take advantage of Oklahoma State. I'm locking up the Kansas Jayhawks minus three and a half points on the road at Oklahoma State. All I'm going to say is that I look forward to talking about this game in the next podcast. (laughs) This is a game I am absolutely going to be touching on. I looked at this one pretty deeply 
And yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it on the other side. Well, that's fair, but I think you still got to give out an ATS pick for this one, right? You don't have to share an awful lot about your thoughts about the game. What what, what side are you going to be on? Okay. Well, I am going to be on the Jayhawk side. So I'm very much for that, for all the same reasons. Oklahoma State struggles when they can't stop the run. Devin Neal's a monster. And Jason Bean, like you mentioned, is most likely going to start. He's proven to be a very effective backup quarterback, very competent. And as you mentioned, he takes care of the ball. It was very much an aberration. It felt like last Friday night in Stillwater as they beat Kansas State. It took three Will Howard picks. And I don't know that we've ever seen Will Howard be that ineffective and that inefficient even. So when you look at this one, I'm very, very, very much with you with the Jayhawks. Well, for a man that didn't want to say an awful lot, you just gave us an awful lot of analysis on the game. But I'll take it and happy to hear that you're also on the Jayhawks minus the three and a half points. That's right, my man. <laughs> All right. Where are you going for your second ATS lock this week? All right. I'm going against a team that I went against earlier in the season, and they kind of made me look a little silly. But it was a game that you even went with, and even though you didn't put it as a lock. I'm not fully convinced that this James Madison team is all that they're cracked up to be. I think they're a good team. I do not think that they're a go undefeated type of team. And I think looking at the statistics, this is the type of matchup where I think they could potentially struggle. They are hosting Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern's four and one. And here's the most important thing. Georgia Southern loves to toss that tater they love it and guess exactly what the one vulnerable part of james madison is on that defense they only give up 350 yards total but they give up an average of 311 yards (laughs) through the air per game so i very much expect davis Brin, who's the senior quarterback for georgia southern to be able to have success on the road I like the fact that the line is uh, Georgia Southern plus three and a half because that allows them to potentially win outright, but it allows them to be within that field goal range. And that's exactly what I'm locking them up to do. I don't think James Madison's going to score a ton of points. They've typically not scored more than, you know, 36, 38, which is a decent amount, but it's not an overwhelming amount. When they played a really stout defense in Troy, they only scored 16. And because of that, I am locking up Georgia Southern at plus three and a half. We were oh so close to a lock block situation, but I reviewed my picks late this afternoon and trying to figure out what my second lock was. Very much a step down in confidence from Kansas. And as I dug deeper into the matchup, I found more and more and more and more stuff that supported exactly what you're saying, okay? So this fell off of my list of potential plays for Locke very, very quickly, and this is another one that I feel like is very up in the air for me. So with James Madison, like you've talked about, it's been an impressive program that's undefeated. They have gone up against a couple of offenses that like to throw the ball a lot, And as a result, like you indicated, they're giving up an awful lot of passing yards. When you look at Georgia Southern, their offense is almost entirely based out of the passing game. And you mentioned Davis Brin, who 
one of the things that I looked into with the numbers was the fact that he has thrown 12 touchdowns and seven interceptions so far this season. And I thought, man, that many interceptions against a defense that has largely been pretty good, but they're giving up some passing yards in James Madison. I don't really like that that much. But then when I dug into it, Davis Brin threw five of those interceptions against Wisconsin. Okay? That's a road game against a Power 5 team. And statistically, when you look at that game that they lost by 21 points, Georgia Southern was very, very competitive in that game. It was the turnovers. It was all the interceptions that limited them, I think, from possibly keeping that game very tight going to the finish, maybe even pulling off the upset. I think they were that competitive with Wisconsin. So as I dug into that and looked at that a little bit closer, I thought, man, I don't know what I want to do with this one. So as I look at my board, I've got James Madison picked minus three and a half. But honestly, that's from when I was thinking of them as a lock. And after, again, digging into the matchup that much more, I really am hesitant to do that. And I think that Georgia Southern absolutely is a good matchup for James Madison. So I am strongly going to consider being on the same side you are this week. And I think those matchups are the ones you've got to look for in trying to figure out what you pinpoint. And again, with Davis Brin, I kind of point out the thing with five interceptions, because if you take that performance out, that means that he has two interceptions across the other four games. And he's largely been very protective of the football. So I don't think the seven interceptions is a strong indication of consistently poor play throughout the season. So again, I think it supports your argument and setting yourself up for taking Georgia Southern plus the points. Yeah. And this is a game that I think people are going to lock in immediately on James Madison and you know to borrow Lee Corso's line not so fast my friend I don't think that's a great thing just because when you think oh man this James Madison team has a vaunted defense and they are good but their one weakness is exactly where the strength is for Georgia Southern so I'm looking forward to that game it's a nooner which should be a fun way to kick off the day. Yeah, our only noon kickoff of Saturday, which is so, 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 so weird. We've got one game in the Pick'em to start. It means I'm going to be watching a lot of other action going on as well, but it is unusual having only one game. Sometimes we got two, sometimes we got three in that noon slot, but it's going to be a long wait getting to the mid-afternoon slot, waiting for these picks to drop, waiting to see where everybody lands on their picks. Uh, Mm. But it's going to make for a fascinating day one way or another. Yeah, it really is. I'm excited about it. All right, Alan, you described James Madison and the way that people are going to pick them by just going through and picking their slates, I would say kind of haphazardly. I'll describe it as autopilot. And I've got another autopilot pick to warn everybody about. Now, this one is not as strong, I believe, a play as I was on with Kansas, minus three and a half points on the road. But I am looking at another game where I absolutely believe a lot of people are going to be on autopilot, and I think you should dig deeper into the matchup. So let's head off to the ACC, where we've got the Miami Hurricanes on the road at North Carolina, who is a three and a half point favorite. North Carolina is five and oh, and they absolutely dominated Syracuse this past week, 40 to seven. They have been pretty impressive. The offense, as expected, has been pretty good, but I think it's been a little subdued from what we thought. Drake May has thrown for over 1,600 yards, which looks great, 
but it's been only eight touchdowns and four interceptions to this point. Dramatically lower numbers than we would have expected coming into the season. Their running game, which has been good in recent years, I think is just average. Omarion Hampton's been pretty good, but he's only averaging 5.2 yards per carry. And then the group of receivers that Drake May has, I think are pretty good. Nate McCollum, J.J. Jones, Kobe Pesor, tight end Bryson Nesbitt have all been pretty good this season. I think they have good, not great numbers. And then this past week, North Carolina got good news as Devontae Walker was made eligible by the NCAA after a long battle to be able to play this season. So he came in and he was involved. He had some receptions for a handful of yards, but it wasn't anything overly impressive. I think there are some people who believe that Devontae Walker is the top wide receiver on that team. And if that's the case, maybe it's a big upgrade for them. But at least this past week, I'm not sure that that showed through. Let's flip over and look at Miami, who is coming off a demoralizing, embarrassing, shameful loss to Georgia Tech. If you didn't watch the highlights, if you didn't stay up late and watch the game like I did, you don't know what happened as they should have kneeled out the clock. Everybody's been talking about it. Instead, they ran the ball with about a minute to go. They ended up fumbling. Georgia Tech got the ball back. And in something like 30 seconds, Georgia Tech went 74 yards and scored a touchdown and won the game 23-20. to And it is as embarrassing a finish as just about I've ever seen in college football. And the Miami Hurricanes should absolutely be ashamed of themselves. But I am not one to go on autopilot and just assume that if you lose to Georgia Tech, you're some awful team. Because let's dig deeper into the game, Alan, where the Miami Hurricanes outgained Georgia Tech by 200 yards And that is after Georgia Tech put up 74 on that final drive. So really, this should have been a situation where Georgia Tech had less than 200 yards of offense. And this is an offense that has been pretty good this year. They had a good performance against Louisville in the opener. They had a pretty good performance against Ole Miss. They had a game where they won against Wake Forest, and the offense was decent to pretty good. But this was Miami completely dominating statistically Georgia Tech but they allowed them to hang in the game because of five turnovers, a bunch of interceptions from Tyler Van Dyke. But when you look at this Miami team, they have been pretty consistent all year until this performance. Tyler Van Dyke has thrown 12 touchdowns versus four interceptions. Again, three of those picks coming against Georgia Tech this past week. Their defense has been good against the run, where North Carolina has, I think, a little more of its weakness offensively. And we have seen Miami struggle against the pass, even going against Texas A&M. But when you look at this Miami offense, again, Van Dyke has been awesome. I like his receivers in Xavier Restrepo, Jacoby George, and Colby Young. I think his running backs have been solid. Get this. Henry Parrish is averaging 6.4 yards a carry, and that's with a long of 37 on the season. Donald Chaney has had... 5.7 yards per carry with a long of 26. The reason I emphasize their longest carries of the season is because those are not the most explosive runs out there in the country, yet these guys are churning out good yardage on a consistent basis. So they're putting out good numbers without a bunch of explosive runs. That tells me there's consistency with the running game. Tyler Van Dyke has been really good outside of the performance against Georgia Tech. And when you look at North Carolina, their defense has gotten a little bit of props this season. They've played a bunch of one-dimensional offenses, and that's helped them, but they've given up yardage to the strengths of teams on a consistent basis. And then with the one team that they played in Appalachian State that was good offensively in multiple facets, 
Appalachian State ran up 275 passing yards, 219 rushing yards, and North Carolina had to survive double overtime against the Mountaineers on their home field. I think Miami's the best team that North Carolina has played to this point. I think that Miami has the ability to go in with their talent and with their skill position players, and I think they're going to put up yards and points on North Carolina. It's going to be a matter of how many points does North Carolina score on, I think, possibly the best defense they've seen to this point, even though Miami is maybe weak in the defensive backfield. So in this game, I'm not going on autopilot, Alan. I'm taking the Miami Hurricanes plus three and a half points. I think they have a chance to win this game on the road, and I think people would be ill-advised to just look at Miami's result against Georgia Tech, just scoreboard watching, and just auto going with North Carolina. I think that's a mistake this week. My, 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 my. I think you and I are looking through very similar lenses this week, my friend, because this is a game that I also will be talking about on the next pod (laughs) um, for all the same reasons. And I also be on Miami at plus three and a half. I love it. Alan, that is music to my ears. We didn't have a lock party after a loss last week, but that's okay. We can reset. We can try to find some opportunities with independent picks improving our pick'em slate as we go on. Of course, if you just continue yours, that's great. But now it is time to turn over to a confidence pick'em pod where you already know a couple of places we're going, but we're going to specify over there what kind of values we're picking for these games. Where are we landing? What kind of values are appropriate? Because, Alan, I think one of the important topics is this week when you've already documented how low our spreads are this week, I think you should go into this week thinking about every single team as a potential 10, also as a potential one. And I think there's some spots where you absolutely should consider every single team for every spot. And I think there's also, in a confidence pick some spots where if the percentages on how picks are coming out fall the wrong way, maybe you shouldn't trickle somebody all the way to the top of your board, but you also got to play confidence aggressively if you feel like you've got something right. So this is a very, very tricky week in trying to land stuff the right way. But I'm excited to see what comes out on the other side, man. 100%. Last week was sneaky hard. This one is just downright daunting. (laughs) And I've been doing this a long time, and I've never seen a week like this one. So best of luck to everybody, and I look forward to talking about some picks on the other side. We're going to have a blast over there, and if you would like to take in that conversation like we have over on Patreon every single week, all you need to do is hop on Patreon and join at $2.50 per month. That's it. It'll give you access to the episode we're about to record. It'll give you access to our picks on those confidence pick and pods all the way through the rest of the month of October and bleeding into November as well. And we'll take that money and we'll drive it back into the pot to create bigger and bigger prizes year over year. We've picked up a couple more financial subscribers so far this season, and those things are going to pay dividends. If people keep on jumping on board, if people trust kind of some of the perspectives we're giving on some of these games, if some people just want another leg up and understanding where our picks are and strategizing against us, even though we're trying to come up from the back of the pack, we're going to be strategizing how to gain that ground. People get the opportunity with some unique perspective of how to combat and fight against us trying to win some of these prizes. Alan, it's a great opportunity. It's pretty dang cheap. And it's another way to further this project so that much, much bigger prizes are on the line one day down the road. It also benefits you to do this, right? Like there's a chance you get all this plus more back 
all about being a little bit generous and helping us out. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I love it, Alan. Thank you so much for the time. Can't wait to understand what your confidence value plays are. I'll be giving mine as well. We'll see how that goes down over on the other episode. Yes, sir. See you on the other side. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.